Go, our great commission. We've been basing this on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this is a, a commonly referred to as the great commission. So let's read this. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission of the church, to bring the gospel to the world, to all nations. No one is excluded, and we are called to bring Light into the darkness. We're to bring the ways of God into this world. That's the mission of the church. And so thank you for being a church that's on mission. We've been involved in all kinds of different outreaches and missions projects and all these things. One of the worst things that can happen to a church is when it becomes internally focused and just thinking about what I want. That is a dangerous place to be. We're to be externally focused, looking to grow the kingdom of God and do our part for the Great Commission. Now, the controversial statement that I've been making throughout this series, I'm going to make again. And here is my controversial statement. I don't believe that our greatest evangelistic technique, the best tool that we have, I don't believe it's witnessing. I don't think it's telling people about Jesus. I think the greatest tool that we have at our disposal for evangelism is living the life, is living out victory in Jesus. Then when we're living that, when we are people of love, when we are people of peace in the storm, when we're people that forgive, when we are people who are able to walk in the ways of God and we're getting the victory, then People will wonder how it is that we're getting through this. You know, how is it that we're handling this world in a different way? Then when we share our faith, we'll have something that they'll be interested in. So the first step is to live the life, to walk in victory. And of course, that's a battle. We want to fight for that. But when we are living in the freedom and the wisdom and the abundant life in Christ, when we're doing that, then we have something to share and to talk about with other people people. And the good news is, if we're living abundant life, that's better for us. And it's more effective for the kingdom. So everybody wins. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Let's do that. It's the best way. So last week, we talked about the first part of make disciples. This week, we cover the second half. So the first half of make disciples was baptize them. The second half is teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Matthew twenty-eight twenty, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we are called to teach people to obey what Jesus has commanded us. A very important part of following Jesus is the actually following Jesus part is the doing what Jesus has done, following in His footsteps, living our life in a Christ-like manner. It's an important part of following Jesus, is the following Jesus part. 
All right, let's uh, read some scriptures along these lines because it's very important to understand that we are called to obey the teachings of Christ. We're called to live our lives in accordance with the scriptures. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, says this. This is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Here, Jesus is saying that for those who have heard his words and do them, that storms will come, the wind will rage. The floodwaters will come up, but your house will remain. There is no promise that when we give our lives to Christ to serve Him, that we won't go through the trials of life, the storms of life. In fact, Jesus told His disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the basis of the next sermon series that we're going through. But there's no promise we won't have battles But when we obey the teachings of Christ, we will have our house built on a solid foundation and it will not fall. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So these are people who are sitting in church or they're at home reading their Bibles and they're finding out the truths of God, what Jesus has commanded us, and they know what they are, but they don't do it. So if you know the teachings of Christ and you do them, it's like having your house built on a rock. If you know what the teachings of Christ are and you don't do those teachings, it's like having your house built on sand. What happens then? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Same scenario. It rains. The floodwaters come up. The wind blows. That happens to everybody. It's not an uncommon thing. Everyone goes through trials in this life, goes through battles and difficulties. But the conclusion here is very different. And it fell with a great crash. So when we know the ways of God, when we see the teachings of Christ and we put them into practice, it helps us. Which is better, lasting through the storm and having your house intact or having it fall apart? Which is better, having it intact so we can learn the ways of God, put them into practice, and then our life doesn't fall apart. Doesn't that sound good? But if your life is based on people believing things that aren't true about you, and then the truth comes out, what happens? Your life falls apart. If your life is based on these things that aren't godly things, then you're in danger of things falling apart. And if you're walking in the ways of God, then it's not going to fall apart. As unfortunate as it is, there are preachers that have moral failures, and then everything falls apart. They were looking like they had their house built on the rock, but they had at least part of that foundation on sand. And when that came out, it fell apart. 
And that can happen in our marriages. It can happen in our families. It can happen in our workplace. It can happen at school. You know, you're pretending like you're doing things well, but you're cheating on your exams. And then all of a sudden, either they find out or your way of cheating doesn't work anymore. And then now you're in real trouble. We don't want to build our house on sand. We want to build it on the rock. So when we put the teachings of Christ into practice, we stand on a firm foundation. And then John 14 Verse 15 comes at this same thing from a different angle. Here, this is at the Last Supper. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Have you ever had someone that you love and respect tell you something? What did you do when that person that you love and respect told you something? You do it, right? If we love Jesus, if we understand that he is who he said he was, And he says for us to do something, then not just out of wanting our house to stand will we obey the teachings of Christ, but just out of how much respect and love we have for our Lord, we'll do what he says. We're called to walk in the ways of God, to do what Jesus has called us to do. We're to go and make disciples who obey the teachings of Christ Which, of course, means that we ourselves are to also obey the teachings of Christ. Last week, again, we talked about how Christianity is not a religion of technicalities and loopholes. And there's there's an odd thing out there. You've probably heard it that people say, well, you don't actually have to do anything. You don't actually have to obey the teachings of Christ. You just have to believe in Jesus. You just have to believe. But you don't have to do anything. Now, are we supposed to just believe or are we supposed to do stuff? And this can get a little complicated. And in a few moments, we'll talk about the difference between legalism and cheap grace. And we don't want to get caught up in that confusion. But Jesus said to to teach them to obey everything he had commanded them. So where did this teaching of just believe and don't obey the teachings, where did that come from? Well, let's go to John 6, 28 and 29, and there's a few scriptures out there like this. So there's actually some reasons why this sort of teaching would come out. So John 6, 28 and 29 says this. Then they asked him, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Isn't that a great question? What do I need to do to be right with God? What are the things I need to do? And here is the answer that Jesus gave. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. Our job is to believe in Jesus. To trust in Jesus. And that is what we're supposed to do. But then the question is, what do you do if you believe the one who said, if you hear my teachings and put them into practice, you're like someone who's built their house on a rock. When the the wind and the storm and the seas rise, your house will stand. But if you hear the teachings and you don't put them into practice, it's like building your house on sand. If we believe the one who said that, then we will put the teachings into practice. A few other scriptures like that, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Let's read that. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If you believe the person who said that, what are you going to do? You're going to take up your cross daily and follow him. Because you're believing the one who said we need to do that. Very important stuff. You want one more? This one's a little harsher. Let's do Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? We want to be good and faithful servants. Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? So this is someone who distributes food to other people. I think this has a, a pretty clear analogy to pastors who are bringing the word of God, but it also can relate to anyone, which is all of us, who are called to serve a role in the body of Christ. We're called to do certain specific things. God is expecting us to do the things he's called us to do. Verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So when Jesus comes back or we go to him, if we've been faithful doing the things that he's called us to do, then that'd be a good thing. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There will be great reward for those who are faithfully obeying what God has told them to do. There will be great reward for those people. Verse 48, But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Now, most people in here probably know that Jesus is coming back. There will be a second coming. Jesus will return. Do you think that'll be this afternoon? Maybe, but probably not. Have you made plans for Monday? Probably not this afternoon. How about next month? Maybe, probably not. 10 years from now? Maybe, probably not. I encourage people to save for retirement in their 20s. If Jesus comes back before then, that's not so bad. But if he doesn't, then, yeah, oops. That was one of the mistakes that many of the early people in the assemblies of God made. I mean, they knew Jesus was coming back, and this was the end times revival. And and what difference would it make to save for retirement? He's coming back before this is all going to be over. And now those people are in a very difficult situation. You know, they're in their 80s and they opted out of Social Security and they didn't save anything. That's not a good place to be. But what can happen on the other side? So if we think Jesus is coming tomorrow and we plan everything based on that, like credit cards, absolutely. Jesus is coming back before it's due. You know, that's a bad plan. But this thing too, I'm my master staying away a long time. I don't know. I'll get right with God, you know, in a decade or two. I don't know, later. Not right now. Right now, I'm going to do something else. If we have this lack of urgency, then it demotivates. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Those who have a lack of urgency. Ah, not today. Maybe later. What happens then? And then he begins to beat his fellow servants. So I'm not thinking this is referring to hitting people with sticks as far as in our culture. But what this is talking about as applying to us, is running down other Christians and other ministries. Just having a bad attitude towards other believers. You know, beating their fellow servants. Oh, that church, ah, the hypocrites. You know, just running people down instead of helping them. Criticizing and, and 
just causing those types of problems, that type of heart. Then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. So running down ministries and believers, and then at the same time living a very worldly life, a life not obedient to the teachings of Christ. So this idea is, ah, you know, I've got lots of time. And those guys are just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. And so I'm just going to live life however I want to. I'm not going to do what God called me to do. And I'm not going to live according to the ways of God. What happens in that situation? The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So. How much of an expert theologian do you need to be in order to realize you ought to avoid this? That this is bad. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is not where you want to be. Where you want to be is walking in obedience to Christ. And Jesus, the one that we believe in, is the one who said this. So we don't want to be in a position where we end up outside of the will of God. We want to be serving the Lord as best as we know how. Here is an example that I like to give with this. It's the coach example. Now, I grew up as a wrestler. Uh, I've coached wrestling, but basketball works better for this analogy. Here we go. Let's say that you have a team, a high school team. It's a good high school team, and they, of course, have a coach. Now, does this team wonder whether or not their coach exists? No, they know their coach exists, but do they believe in their coach? That's the question. And here's the scenario that helps us find out if the team believes in their coach or not. Three seconds left in the game. We're inbounding the ball at half court, down by one, and it's a timeout. And so the coach calls the players over and he says, all right, guys. I've been dreaming about this moment all season. I've been thinking about what each one of you can do. And I've got a play that I've written up just for this situation. And he writes out this play and, and it's a very unorthodox play. And the players are like, we've not done anything like that before. And the coach says, look, just trust me, run this play. If you believe in the coach, what do you do? You run the play. If you don't believe in the coach, what do you do? Say, look, man, just pass me the ball. I'll take care of it. You just do it your own way. If you believe in the coach, you run the play. If you don't believe in the coach, you do it your own way. So, do we believe in Jesus? If we believe in Jesus, we run the play. Even if we don't understand how it's supposed to work. You know, love your enemies. Does he know what enemies are? That's hard to do. That's a strange play. How do we run that play? You know, you fall down when you try to run that play. It's a challenge, but that's what he's taught us to do. So we try to run the play. And here's something that's really significant. If we don't run the play, then not only does the coach get mad at you for not running the play, but you also lose the game where you could have won the game. So instead of winning, you lose. And we want to win the game. We don't want our houses to crash down and we don't want the church to fall apart. We don't want this great revolution to stall out. You know, Jesus came to this world to start a revolution and it was to bring 
the good things of God into a dark and evil world. To bring love into a world of darkness. To bring forgiveness into a world that labels people and gets people stuck. It was to bring peace into a world of anxiety and fear. It was to bring the light into the darkness. That's the revolution Jesus came to start. And when we run the plays that he has called, we get to be part of bringing that light into this world. And isn't that a good thing? Amen. We want to win the game. We want to be effective in our service to Christ. So if we believe in him, we will run the plays that he has called. There's a tension here. I want to read a couple of different scriptures that kind of pull in different directions. And when we're talking about walking in obedience to Christ, of course, there's the, the big thing between legalism, you know, I'm trying to earn my salvation by my works, which of course is disaster. Can you be good enough to get to heaven on your own merit without needing the forgiveness of Christ? Absolutely not. You can't do that. But We want to endeavor to serve God effectively. We don't want to slip all the way over to that cheap grace thing, which is just, yeah, whatever, doesn't matter. I don't need to follow Christ. I'm just going to ask for forgiveness and go to heaven. No, we, we don't want to be in that ditch either. We want to be serving God to the best of our ability, but trusting God for our justification, not proving ourselves to God. We can't possibly prove ourselves to God, but we can walk in obedience to God. So with legalism, you're trying to prove yourself to God and probably to people. With cheap grace, you don't even bother with it. But what we want to do is trust in God for our redemption, but then walk in obedience to what he has. And I want to look at two scriptures that pull me in different directions. Have you ever personally read different passages in the scriptures and been pulled in different directions? Let's go first to Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. This was a section of scripture that had a profound impact on me because I realized that the apostle Paul felt something that I felt and I wasn't sure how many people felt it. Romans 9 verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. The Apostle Paul says he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Doesn't involve unceasing anguish, does it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. How does Paul... An incredible man who walked with God. How does he end up living a life of unceasing anguish in his heart and great sorrow? What is he going through? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Paul saw that people he loved and cared about, his people were rejecting Christ and were separated from God and facing condemnation. And it broke his heart. How motivated was Paul to bring the light of the gospel into a dark world? To bring the light of the gospel into a legalistic religious culture 
that had stepped away from God. His heart was broken. How motivated was he? What was Paul willing to do to bring the gospel to this world? Have you read the list of things that he suffered? The 40 lashes minus one, shipwrecked, day and a night in the open sea, you know, put in prison. He, he just went through a lot of stuff. He was stoned and left for dead. I think he actually was killed, but he was raised again. I mean, there's no, it doesn't say that specifically in the scriptures, but they were good at stoning people and killing them back then. They knew what they were doing. And so they drag him out. I mean, he was in rough shape, but they drag him out of the city. And then everybody gathered around him and he gets up. He was highly motivated because he saw people that he cared about were lost and he he had to go. And then we got Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Like Paul had a burden for his people. I have a burden for those who don't know the Lord. You have a burden. You care about people. And there's other burdens that we carry as well. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that sound like great sorrow and unceasing anguish? Was Paul in disobedience to God? Here's the deal. What do we do with this? Well, how I see it is we need to understand what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is. We don't want to develop what they call a Christ complex, which is, I have to save the world. I don't save the world. You don't save the world. Jesus saves the world, right? We need to take responsibility to walk in the ways of God, but we don't want to carry too heavy of a burden because His yoke is easy and his burden is light. If we take responsibility for things that don't belong to us, we'll be crushed by that weight and we'll we'll be pushed too far. And a burnt out servant of God is not an effective servant of God. We need to be people who are full of joy and peace and love and patience and the fruits of the Spirit and, and our love in life, walking in abundance of life. So we don't want to be crushed by responsibilities that don't belong to us, but we also don't want to be abdicating the responsibilities that we have have. So here's what we do. Just be faithful and trust God for the rest. Just do what God's called you to do. Be faithful in what he's asked you to do. Be faithful in walking in obedience to the scriptures and then leave the results to God. We can do that. We can walk in obedience and leave the results to God. I got one more story that I want to tell about faith. This is a story I heard many years ago, and it's based on a true story. It's based on the story of a guy who used to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. And he was real good at it. Like he would go out, and he would bring stuff, and he would cook an omelet for himself out in the middle of the tightrope and eat the omelet. He did some really interesting stunts. So here's the story as I heard it, uh, a parable of understanding what faith is. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? So there was a guy that went on vacation to Niagara Falls. And he sees a tightrope running across and he sees that there's going to be a tightrope walker show. So he thought, well, I'll go see that. This guy eventually comes out and uh, he starts tightroping across Niagara Falls. And 
you know, I mean, you fall off of that, you're done. And the, there's mist and stuff, so the, the tightrope is a little wet and, and that sort of thing. And so the guy watching is like, wow, I hope he makes it. That's kind of dangerous. But he makes it all the way across to the other side. And then he waves to the crowd that was watching, and he starts back across the tightrope walking backwards. And the guy on vacation is like, oh, 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 you, you can't see where he's going. This has got to be bad. Like, uh-oh. But he makes it the whole way, all the way to the other side, walking backwards. He waves to the crowd, and the crowd's like, wow. So then he rolls a wheelbarrow out on the tightrope. I don't know, whenever you've been walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, isn't it nice to be able to wave your arms a little bit? If you've got a wheelbarrow, that's much more tricky. He rolls this thing out there, and off he goes. And our vacationer is like, oh, oh, no. That's not good. Is he going to make it? He makes it all the way to the other side. Waves to the crowd. Crowds cheers. And you know what happens. He puts his foot back on and he starts backwards with the wheelbarrow going the other way. And our vacationer is like, oh, this guy has a death wish. He brought us all here to watch himself die. This is a disaster. I can't believe this. But he doesn't waver. He, he doesn't falter all the way back to the other side. And he waves to the crowd and everybody cheers. And uh, the show is over. And the, the vacationer is so impressed that, you know, they have a little meet and greet afterwards. He's got his book. You can buy the book and he'll sign it and that sort of thing. So he goes up to the tightrope walker. He's like, dude, that was amazing. He's like, really? You think so? You, you want to buy a book? He's like, yeah, yeah, give me a book. You know, and, and he's signing for me, and he signs the book. And he's like, you didn't even waver. That was amazing how you did that. And the tightrope walker says to the vacationer, well, do you think I could do it again? And he's like, well, yeah, of course you could. I mean, you do this all the time, right? You got a book. He's like, yeah, I do this. I do this for a living. Uh, do you think I could do it just one more time? Said, well, yeah. Are you sure? Well, of course. Of course you can do it. He says, all right, then get in the wheelbarrow and let's go. So there's a difference between having nothing at stake and trusting someone with your life. And of course, when it's Jesus, we trust him with our life. We put our lives in his hands, believing that he can get us to the other side safe. That when we trust in him, when we get in the wheelbarrow, when we obey the teachings of Christ, when we endeavor to walk in his ways and serve him and trust him that it will get us to the other side safely. That is faith in Christ. Our closing scripture is going to be James 1.22. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I like James. He's very straightforward, maybe even a little grumpy, but that works out well. He just says it. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So here in the scriptures, we see that you can listen. You can hear the truths of God. You can read your Bible and it can end in deception. We don't want that. What is the deception that's being talked about In this verse, the deception is, well, I know all this stuff, so I must be good. I know all, I've heard all the teachings. My house isn't going to fall. Well, it depends on if you put the teachings into practice and built your house on the rock, or if you didn't and you built your house on sand. When we actually obey the teachings of Christ, our relationship with God is right. 
If you're separated from God, if you've never chosen to follow Christ, you can do what He's called you to do, which is to repent and follow Him. Repent in the New Testament. The Greek word means meta-consider. It means to, to take a bird's eye view of your life and evaluate everything and just decide, I'm going with Jesus. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. That's what repent means. It can involve feeling really sad about bad decisions. But the essence of it is to choose to go with Christ. When we obey the teachings of Christ, our relationship with God is made right. When we choose to obey the teachings of Christ, our lives get better. Your life might not get easier. There are inconveniences with obeying the scriptures, but your life gets better. There are times where you have to be disciplined where you have to do something that can seem counterintuitive or something that you really don't want to have to do, like offer forgiveness to someone who has wronged you or someone you love in a significant way. There are things that are difficult to do, but when we do those things, our lives get better. And when we obey the teachings of Christ, our light shines brighter. So when we walk in the ways of God, we obey His teachings, our relationship with God is made right, our lives get better, and our light shines brighter. I can't think of any reason why anyone wouldn't want all three of those. We're right with God, our lives get better, and our light shines brighter. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and let's just pledge to the Lord that we will walk in His ways. And you you stumble, you fall, that's okay. Get back up, but endeavor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us here to just wander around and figure it out on our own, but you guide us by your Spirit and you guide us by your Holy Scriptures. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for calling plays that work. Thank you for being trustworthy and true. Thank you for including us in your plan. And Father, for for all of us, Help us to walk in your ways. We want to run the play. Lord, when we mess up, we know you'll coach us up and you'll help us get better. But Lord, we trust you. So we want to do what you called us to do. Lord, I pray that you would just spark in our hearts this morning, right now. You would show us what is one thing we need to do to walk in obedience to your teachings a little better. What is one thing that we need to change, one thing, a new discipline we need to add to our life, uh, something we need to get straightened out. Lord, show us one thing. And Lord, help us to make a commitment to put that thing into practice, to conquer that thing, to walk in your ways in obedience to you in that area. Give us strength with that. And Lord, I, I pray you would help us all to shine a bright light for your kingdom, that we would shine a light that is full of love, that is full of joy, that is full of peace, that is full of patience. Lord, a light that, that draws people in because it is a light that shines on your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.